Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Monday, October the 31st, 2022. It is currently 2.50 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studios located right here in Abilene, Texas, where sometimes in this studio, I get things right. Sometimes in this studio, I get things wrong. Sometimes I win. Sometimes I lose. Sometimes I may look like I'm really, really, really smart. And sometimes I look like I'm really, really, really dumb. But that's just the reality of life, isn't it? I I mean, here's the thing. If you never want to look dumb, if you never want to fail, if you never want to make a mistake, just never do anything. Don't try at anything. Just sit on your couch. Don't do anything. Never attempt anything. Never try anything. You'll never embarrass yourself. You'll never look foolish. You'll never look dumb. But you will never do anything. If you attempt to do things, you're going to end up looking dumb at times. You're going to end up looking foolish at times. And when you decide to turn on a microphone and go live on the internet, you have great potential of looking dumb and looking foolish and looking stupid. And that's what has happened to me. Not the first time, far from the first time, definitely will not be the last time, but in all seriousness... When I get something wrong regarding the scriptures or a Greek word found that is translated, a Greek word that's translated uh, into English in our English Bibles, if I get that wrong, I have to be, I have to be the first one to turn on the microphone and acknowledge that mistake, acknowledge that failure, and well, ask for your forgiveness and then do the best I can to move forward. I will make more mistakes. I will, but it all started in our study. On 2 Timothy chapter 3, oh, I could offer lots of reasons why, because there was a lot of things going on during that broadcast with the internet, but 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 ultimately it's still my responsibility. But here's the thing, in our study of 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'll, in fact, I'll open my Bible right quick, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I know we need to be uh, moving on to other things this week, but we're still in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We still have work to do here. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse, we came to verse 8. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. I'm not going to review everything we've studied in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Please go back and listen to everything in the Bible study exercise series dealing with 2 Timothy. I think it's been a very important study. It hasn't been super in-depth, but we I've put forth a very, very important hypothesis and I hope people will at least consider it. But we came to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, and we read these words. Now, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these, these individuals, and we believe those individuals come from within the church, that, that 2 Timothy 3 is talking about the condition of the church in those perilous times in those last days. I, I still believe that. But so that, uh, so Paul is telling Timothy now, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Resist the truth. And when I read that, I thought for the Bible study exercise, let's just consider this idea of resisting the truth. How do you resist the tr- truth? How do I resist the truth? How does the church resist the truth? 
time and time and time again. Now, the problem is we don't realize when we're doing it, but how do we do this? Well, it may start with understanding who Janus and Jembris is. if If we understood better who Janus and Jembris is, then maybe we'll get an idea of the resisting the truth that is spoken of here. So I wanted, so I gave two assignments, all right? So assignment number one, who is, who was Janus and Jembris? Who was Janus and Jembris? And what can we learn about them? And what can we learn about the Greek word that is translated resist the truth, right? What can we learn about that Greek word? And that Greek word, if you remember, was this. Here is the Greek word. Listen carefully. Strong's G436. Anthistemi. 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 And I, I told you that for me, anthistemi, that te, I really, for some reason, want to emphasize anthistemi. Te me. I really, and maybe it was just for, to help me remember it. I don't know, but that's just on this te me. Well, for some real weird reason in the episode, instead of saying on this te me, I started saying and this te may. <laughs> instead of saying on this te me, I started saying and this te May. <laughs> I started I started changing the way I was saying it over and over and over. I went back and listened to it. And I'm like, this is horrifying. I am I am messing this Greek word up. Now I did not receive any emails saying you're an idiot, but trust me, I listened to it and thought, man, I am an idiot. How could I mess that up so bad? Uh, and, and, and I and I, I could give you reasons. One of the problem, uh, well, I'm not even going to go into it. Bottom line is, it was my, it was my fault. Um, on this te me. See, I still want to say te may. I don't know why I want to say te may. Just when I say the te, then I just want to go may. But, and I kept saying that over and over. But it's on this te me, right? That's, that's, that's the correct. If you really slow it down, I don't know why I, I was messing it up, but I messed it up probably 10 times. And, and part of it, I, I mean, look, obviously I was confident that I was saying it correctly, right? Or I would have, if I wasn't confident, I would have just said it one time and just stopped, or I would have just played it and just like, okay, I'm not going to even try that one again. I'll just say the Greek, I'll just say the Greek word, the Greek word, the Greek word. That's the same Greek word. That's the same. I would have just said that, but no, I was confident. And next thing you know, I'm saying, and this day may, (laughs) I don't know what in the world I was doing, but, but I was confident. I was confident. And that's just, I think there's a lesson in that. There's a lesson in that. Sometimes we can be so confident about a conclusion in Bible study and yet be so very wrong. Because here's the thing about all Bible teachers, pastors, podcasters, is we are fallible. We make mistakes, little mistakes, mistakes in just saying the Greek word the wrong way. We we, we come to wrong conclusions and wrong interpretations. So it, it always... It's always important to, to remain, look, humility is a key ingredient in being a good Bible student. Humility is a good ingredient in being a good Bible student. It's maybe one of the most important. Remain humble. You don't know everything and what you think you know, you may end up being very, very, very wrong about. I thought I was right. And then as soon as I went back and started listening to the, to the episode, I'm like, what in the world? It's on this 
te me. What, what am I doing? How am I messing this Greek word up? In fact, not, right, not what even makes me more angry is right here next to me on my left hand is literally the pronunciation of the Greek word right here next to me. But I wasn't even looking at it. I wouldn't. I was. I was so confident. I don't even need to look at the Greek word. Well, to be fair, when I whenever I would look over at it, it would it would it would confuse me. Um, you just be well. I could get into all the reasons why. Just when I look at the Greek word, I I, I come up with a completely different way of saying it. But I'm not going to confuse myself right now. So I want to apologize for that. But I want to us to now move past my failure and advance in our discussion of Second Timothy chapter three. Right. I want I want us to understand this idea of resist the truth. But I we we looked at the Greek word. I I gave you all the references where the Greek word occurs. But here's what I want us to remember, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, withstood Moses, that word withstood, same Greek word, withstood, so they withstood, and then they, then the people within the church will rise up at some point, maybe throughout church history, there's always been people within the church who will resist the truth. Janus and Jambres were living examples of someone who withstood the truth. And, and then Paul is get, using that example of these individuals to say, that's what the perilous times are going to look like in the last days. The church, within the, the people in the church are going to resist the truth. The people in the church are going to stand against it, just like Janus and Jambres did Moses. All right? So I think it's a very important verse to look at. But who was Janus and Jambres. Uh, someone sent me their uh, their work on it. They they found some interesting things. Uh, I'm just going to p- uh, pull from an article, add some thoughts. But the main thing is, I want you to realize that those who resist the truth that the par- that, and we talked about how do we understand that phrase "last days and perilous times." Look, I believe in one way. 2 Timothy 3 describes what has happened in the church for 2,000 years, but I do believe that it ultimately points to a time. A, a great apostasy will come upon the church, and Christians, those who are trying to hold to the word of God, the church is almost going to become hostile to you. That The persecution many Christians will face will not come from outside the church. It's going to come from inside the church, and I don't think we talk about that enough. I really believe we need to consider that in greater detail. But let's look at Janus and Jambres. Who are these individuals? All right. The Bible does not give us much information on Janus and Jambres. In fact, the names of these two men appear only once in the entire Bible. And that's in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. Remember one of the uh, things I gave for you in your assignment in the Bible study exercise was to look it up and see what you can find. I told you it wouldn't take you long. In a passage describing the wickedness of the last days, Paul says, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men oppose the truth. All right? Withstood, resist, oppose. The opposition to truth is going to happen within the church. Again, I believe 2 Timothy 3 is not describing the culture. It's describing the church. I stand by that. And I gave my textual reasons for that argument, all right? So they go on to say, these men of depraved minds, who as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Now, long-standing 
Jewish tradition says that Janus and Jambres were the two chief magicians who withstood Moses and Aaron in Exodus chapter 7. I quote, Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same thing by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, it became a snake, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Later, these same sorcerers duplicated the changing of water into blood and the production of frogs. However, the sorcerers were powerless to duplicate the other plagues. So Jewish tradition says that's who Jambres, uh, uh, Janus and Jambres were. They were two magicians who withstood Moses. Okay. Possibly. Uh, well, all right. I, that's, 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 that, that doesn't fit. I, I wish it was different, but okay, if that works, at least you get the idea of, of just as these magicians withstood Moses, well, the same kind of mentality and attitude will arise within the church against the truth. All right, let's continue. The name Janus and Jambres appear in the Talmud as well. Now, according, according to this, the, the two magicians left Egypt with the Israelites after the first Passover. All right? And they said to see Exodus 12, 38. Now, this is according to the Talmud, all right? Um, they say uh, the two magicians left Egypt with the Israelites in the first Passover. This, and they say Exodus chapter 12. Let's look at this. Exodus chapter 12. Exodus 12, and they say 38, 12, 38. And a mixed multitude went up also with them, and flocks and herds, even very much cattle. All right, so this seems to, uh, to indicate that as they left Egypt, a mixed multitude went with them, right? So in other words, you would have those who don't necessarily believe what they're supposed to believe. A mixed multitude seems to be the phrase there. And so they're saying, according to the Talmud, that the two magicians who withstood Moses, they were there, they were in the mixed multitude. Now, this is speculation, this is theory, but just please note, that would then place them where? Amongst the people of God. 2 Timothy 3 I believe is talking about what's going to happen in the church and that within the church, you're going to end up with those who begin to resist the truth and stand against it. And well, you, their character is described in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 in the first part of it. They go on to say, they says that these two individuals, Janice and Champers, according, again, they say their, their names appear in the Talmud and, and at least according to one section, the two magicians left Egypt with the Israelites after the first Passover and were later instrumental in promoting the worship of the golden calf that Aaron made. So they're like, these people were there and then they promote the golden calf worship. Now, again, speculation but that would put them right there in the midst of the people of God, which would fit 2 Timothy 3 so well, so perfectly. Hey, Timothy, inside the church, they're going to be those just like Janus and Jambres were inside Israel. They were with the Israelites and they withstood Moses and they, they did all of these horrible things. If, if he was relying on those Jewish ideas and maybe the or, you know, Jewish concepts 
if he was, it, 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 I mean, he, Paul used them for some reason, right? So there had to be something. And obviously he, the, he knew Timothy would know about them. So there had to be a, a pretty well established idea of who these men were. But if they were a part of Israel, right? And then they, they were the ones sparking basically idolatry. That fits perfectly with 2 Timothy 3. Let's continue. Another section identifies the two servants of Balaam as Janus and Jambres. All right? So the servants of Balaam. Now, according uh, to this source and other sources, Janus and Jambres continue to exhort a wicked influence on Israel until the time of Phineas. Uh, these stories are interesting, but they should not be taken as equivalent to inspired scripture. Paul confirms the traditional names of the sorcerers who challenged Moses without leading credence to the legends found in apocryphal books. His intention to use the wickedness of Genesis and Jambres as, as presented in the Torah as an illustration of widespread active rejection of the truth in the last days. Well, I don't know if you can say for sure he was confirming the traditional name of the sorcerers. I don't know. I mean, we, I think there's a lot of speculation, but I just do think it's interesting that within the Talmud, there's at least this idea that these guys left Egypt with the Israelites and they were right there in the midst of them. And they, they promoted it or they were the servants of Balaam, but in either way, they, they kept trying to have some kind of negative influence on Israel. That really, really works with 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, Let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Go back to verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. So I'm just going to try to summarize and remind you of everything that we've dealt with in 2 Timothy 3. As a Christian, you have to know. You have to see. That last days, we believe the last days covers a large period of time, possibly from uh, the first coming of Christ all the way to the second coming. But in that time, there will be perilous times. Now, in one way, I think this is a general description of everything that's happened since the, the beginning of the last days. Since the coming of Christ, there's been perilous times. There's been difficulties and, and dangers facing Christians and the church. I think we can see that. But I think it also points to a more specific future period where there's going to be a great falling away and a great apostasy within the church. And I think this begins to describe the church. And how is the church described here? For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. And I know preachers preach this as, no, look at the culture. No, I don't believe this has anything to do with the culture. It's pointing to the church. Why? Look at verse 4. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God? When is the culture, when is the lost world ever loved God more than pleasure? The answer is never. This is, this is something in the church. The church at large, the, what's going to happen is little by little, more by more, the church is going to become people who are preoccupied with lovers of pleasure, and they're not going to be lovers of God. They're going to have a form of godliness. Once again, that doesn't describe the lost culture. That describes the church. They're going to have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. From such, turn away. You're At some point, if we believe that there's going to be a complete future falling away and a great apostasy coming, 
thing, which I do believe is going to happen. I don't believe it's going to get better. It's going to get worse. Then you as a Christian are going to be inside the church and you're going to be like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And it's almost like Christians are not going to find, they're, they're going to be out of place inside the church. And then from inside the church, these are the sort of men who are going to creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins and lead away with diverse lust. And then look at ever learning and never able to come to the truth. The church is going to be a place where there's lots of learning, but nobody's really going to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're going to know things, but they're not going to know the truth. And now as Janice and Jembris withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. In the church is going to be a place of learning, but no knowledge of the truth. And it's going to be a place where people withstand and resist the truth of God's word. All right. They will, uh, they, they shall, they shall proceed no further for folly as will manifest unto all men. And theirs also was talking of Janus and Jambres. All right. So that's how, that's how bad it's going to get. And so what do we do? What, what, what is the call? What is the direction for the Christians finding themselves in a church of great apostasy where Paul tells Timothy exactly what he's to do? All right, here we go. All right, this is very important. All right, um, start with verse 12, all right? 2 Timothy three twelve. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution, all right? First, you got to be prepared and be willing to endure persecution. But I think it's persecution that's going to come from inside the church. I think true believers are going to find themselves at odds with the church because the church is going to be a place of learning, but no knowledge of the truth. And it's going to be a place where people withstand the truth. They're going to, they're going to stand against it. Verse 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So you're going to be persecuted because the church is going to become a place of seducers and deception. So now, so first thing, you got to be prepared for persecution. Second, continue thou uh, in the things which thou hast learned. You got to continue in the truth of historical biblical Christianity. You've got to hold on to the things that you have been taught with historical biblical Christianity. You cannot let those things be taken from you. You've got to hold on to them like you're holding on to a life preserver in the middle of the ocean. You got to cling to it because if you don't cling to those historical teachings, you will, you will find yourself drowning in a sea of deception. You've got to hold on to the things which you have been taught. And verse 15, and that from the child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. We've got to hold on to the things we are taught. So number one, we've got to be ready for persecution. Number two, we've got to hold on to the things we've been taught. Number three, we have to... Uh, we have to hold on to, we have to remember the scriptures. We have to remember the scriptures, remember the scriptures, remember the scriptures, remember the scriptures. All right. So number one, we have to be prepared for persecution. Number two, we have to uh, continue in the things which we've learned. Number three, we've got to remember the holy scriptures. Number four, we cannot forget the gospel and salvation. We must maintain a correct understanding of the gospel and salvation by faith. We cannot allow the gospel and salvation to be corrupted by these deceptive people who will turn the gospel basically into a law-based system instead of a gospel-based system. And then 
Look, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for corruption, for instruction in righteousness. And I think and that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. I think then verse 16 to 17, the next thing it tells us, it tells us that we have to hold on to one single authority, which is the word of God. When the church is disintegrating and apostatizing and, and, and it, it's getting worse and worse and worse, you got to know where to look. And we don't look to the church, we look to the scriptures. We have to hold on to the scriptures because they are profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction. Because the church is going to be filled with those who are deceiving, being deceived, seducers. It's going to be deception. They're going to learn, not know the truth. They're going to stand against the truth. You've got to hold on to that final authority. So let's go through these again. All right. Number one, when the church gets in the perilous times, it's the church gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. You got to be prepared for persecution, but I believe that persecution will arise from within the church. Number two, uh, you have to continue the things in which you have learned. You've got to remember the historical biblical truth, the articles of the faith. You've got to remember historical biblical doctrine and, and teaching and creeds and confessions and all of that. Number three, you've got to remember and cling and hold on to the scriptures. You've got to remember the scriptures. Do not forget the scriptures. And number four, you cannot forget the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation because the scriptures make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. We have to not allow, we have got to hold on to the gospel that we are saved by faith, not by works. We have to remember the gospel and salvation. Because these seducers and deceivers will corrupt the gospel. And then we've got to cling and we've got to remember the one authority, which is Scripture. Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, uh, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It's going to be the Scriptures. If, if 2 Timothy 3 is describing the future of the church, which I believe it is, and I believe in some ways it's described the character of the church throughout all of the last days because the church has, has demonstrated over and over and over its corruption, its failures, in so many ways. In so many ways, you got to cling to Scripture. If you look to the church, you're going to get dis- you're going to get hurt, discouraged, depressed, and uh, but you got to cling to the Scriptures. The Scriptures are the church is made up of sinners. The Scriptures are pure. And then look what he does in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall adjudge the quick and the dead at his appearing uh, and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. We have to maintain preaching God's word. Now, as the church falls apart, hopefully there will be those who will continue to preach God's word in season and out of season, no matter if it if 80% of your church leaves and there's only five people left, don't, don't give up. Maintain the five people and keep preaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. The church is not going to endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall turn, be turned unto fables. They're going to turn from God's word. They're going to turn from it. The church is. You have to hold on to God's word. There's 2 Timothy 3. 
a little bit of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now, what are we going to be doing moving forward this week? Well, let me look really quick here. If you have access to the curriculum, you can look as well. Okay, I'm going to go to, I'm going to, go to the link. Now, if you, if, you, if you don't have access to the curriculum, just email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Just say you would like the curriculum. I'll send you a link, and uh, please use it, all right? Now, um, let's see here. All right, for this week, we are going to be in... Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. That is what we're going to focus on. The, we're going we're gonna to talk about hearing God's word. Now, we hear, we just, we kind of saw the importance of God's word. Now, we're going to talk about hearing God's word. Nehemiah chapter 8. That's your, that's your assignment this week. Nehemiah chapter 8. All right? You say, what, do, what, what, what should I do for Nehemiah chapter 8? We'll start just reading the chapter, reading the chapter. Obviously, if you want to do a chapter summary method. But here's what I would tell you to do first. At a minimum, 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 look up Nehemiah in a Bible dictionary, where you and not just the, the, the person Nehemiah, but the book Nehemiah. Look at the entry and just read over it so that you have the basic who, what, where, when, you know, who, what, where, when, and who, what, where, when, and whom, I guess, uh, and, 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 and who. Look, look at, uh, get the basic information about the book of Nehemiah, right? Just make sure you get the basic, basic information about the book of Nehemiah. You don't need to, you don't need to write anything out. You don't need to go any long Bible study method. Just make sure you know the who, what, where, when, and how in the book of Nehemiah. Just make sure you have that down, right? Make sure you have that down so that um, when we get into, when you start looking at Nehemiah chapter eight, you have some historical context, you have some background, you know, when the book was written, who it was written to, why it was written, what was the historical context, what was the theological context, so that we don't twist or mess up Nehemiah chapter 8, all right? So you can look up a, a Bible handbook, you can look a Bible dictionary, just if you have a study Bible, you could read its introduction to it, whatever you have, just get a basic, just a basic information, and then just start reading Nehemiah chapter 8. If you want to do a chapter summary method, feel free, you don't have to. But that's an easy method. Usually takes about 30 minutes to an hour. Nehemiah chapter 8. There you go. And we'll continue looking at God's word. We're going to continue looking at that subject, God's word. All right? There's a good chance that Nehemiah chapter 8 may show up in our today's focus podcast series, which are about, try to keep them about 15 minutes long to give you something to focus on. So I'll try to, try to work, make the two work together to some level. Um, obviously, sometimes today's focus is completely on something different because there's always so much going on. But there you have it, Nehemiah chapter 8. All right, Nehemiah chapter 8. Now, 2 Timothy 3 and 4, there's some good stuff in there, good stuff in there. And hopefully, we've uh, maybe challenged you how you've looked at that passage. Now, Nehemiah chapter 8. So, 
Start reading it. Start working. Ask questions. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. And hey, in the Discord channel, come on. Talk about what you're working on. Talk about what you're studying because that's why the channel is there, to have good conversations about what we're studying. And so Nehemiah chapter 8, that's the focus for the rest of this week. All right. Thanks for listening. I apologize for any mistakes that I made, who, what, where, when, how, however I was messing that up. And uh, obviously the Greek word I messed up in the last live broadcast. All right. There we go. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. It's Reformation Day. So um, if you go listen to my, uh, the podcast episode I did this morning on today for today's focus on, on Luther's 95 Theses, there's a PDF file. You can start reading those 95 Theses. And I give you some, I give you like the basic three things the 95 Theses are about to help you understand them. So uh, make sure you avail yourself of that because uh, what a great day to study church history is on Reformation Day. And don't get all caught up in all the yelling and arguing and fighting that Christians do about trick-or-treating and Halloween and all of that stuff and just ignore like something important like, I don't know, Reformation, the doctrine of justification by grace alone through faith alone because of Christ alone. I don't know. So, all right. There's so many other things I want to talk about, but I'll stop right there. Thank you for listening to another thrilling episode of the Bible Study Exercise podcast series, a podcast series that is designed to get you to study the Bible, not just listen to me, but to get you actually involved. And we hope you appreciate this series. And if you know anybody else who actually wants to study, not just listen to someone say, this is what it means, but actually giving you steps to take and homework and assignments and curriculum and all the things that we offer, well, recommend this podcast series And hopefully, they will find it to be beneficial and useful. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.